When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, superheroes, we have a super rad episode for you today. Christian Jacobs, also known as MC Bat Commander, lead vocalist for the Huntington Beach, California ska band The Aquabats, is here to break down their 1997 classic, Super Rad, taken from the album The Fury of the Aquabats. In fitting in with the band's wacky theme, at first glance the lyrics look to be a stream of consciousness, silly ramble, but I was pleased to know that there is a great story behind the song. Christian shares some great insight into the ska scene from the early to mid-90s in Southern California, and how the idea for the band was bore out of complete ridiculousness that has not only lasted almost 30 years at this point, but has spawned TV shows featuring the band, which led to Christian creating the highly successful children's show, Yo Gabba Gabba. This band is all about fun. They've never tried to be anything more than a group of superheroes playing upbeat ska music and trying to save the world one city at a time. I back it. Oh, and who knew that Christian was a child actor that was in a bunch of movies and TV shows I grew up watching as a kid? Or that the actor, Bobcat Goldthwait, directed the video for Super Rad? Well, prior to this episode, I sure didn't. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Christian makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Christian makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Christian makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Christian makes a podcast. I'm talking to Clark Kent today. Um, <laughs> MC Bat Commander's not here. I, I got Clark Kent. I got I got Christian. Yeah, let me grab him real quick. Hey, what's up, Chris? <laughs> He's right around the corner every every second of the day. <laughs> the, the uniform and the and the sharpie for the tooth and the mustache is in the closet right now. So uh, yeah, how's it going, my friend? Good, man. Good. You know, just uh, living through these weird times as we all are. It's a whole new new ball of wax that we're uh, melting all over ourselves. So uh, we played at the Orange County Fair last or uh, two nights ago, and in front of like a full crowd and it was cool man it was cool to p- play live again and i just really didn't even know if that was ever going to happen again so uh, it was cool right right yeah. did, did the suit still fit uh you know <laughs> it, it did it but i gave myself a couple weeks to uh <laughs> to get to yeah i've been like i've been on the christian bale diet which is like just i just don't eat so, yeah, well, I, uh, the reason I asked that I've been, uh, trying to slim down myself, I, I got a run coming up and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to get complacent and lazy when, when you're not on the road, you know, Christian, I, I gotta say, uh, when researching for this episode, uh, I've certainly known a lot about the Aquabats over the years, uh, you know, done shows with you know, know a lot about your band, but, uh, I had no idea that you were a child actor. I, 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 you're probably like, what are you living under a rock? But I, I am like starstruck right now, dude, because you know, for, for those that don't know, uh, there was a show in the seventies, uh, called all in the family, uh, that featured Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker and Sally Struthers as, uh, Gloria Bunker, his daughter. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Rob, Rob Reiner. Of course he was meathead on the show, right? 
And Rob Reiner went on to direct and, you know, created Spinal Tap with all of our favorite buddies. So like that, that was, that was huge too. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut, cut you off. No, no, I, I, I can't believe I, I left out Rob Reiner. Of course, he was a, a, a huge part of that show. And then you had Gene Stapleton who played Edith Bunker. She was uh, in a league of her own as well. Wonderful show that did a spinoff called Gloria uh, from 82 to 83. And that's when Sally Struthers struck out uh, on her own. And uh, the little boy in her son was named Joey Stivic and uh, Christian played him and I was like there's no way and here I am googling <laughs> images and I I push you back about 40 years and I'm like oh my gosh that is him that's that's unreal man hi mom what's up look outside Joe that's what's up I can't see anything but this old wreck of a car <laughs> that's right wow you did it you bought me a car <laughs> it's our car Will you give me a ride to school? I'm sorry, Joey. I have to go to work. Go ahead. Blow it out. <laughs> that is so cool. It, it was crazy, you know, but I was young and I needed the money, you know, so uh, that's how that's what they say. No, I, my parents, we moved to L.A. when I was about four, three or four years old. I think I think I was about four years old and with kind of the express purpose of putting their kids into show business, which, you know, I guess thousands if not millions of people do that and we were just kind of fortunate enough to be like a, a working kind of family in the business but we were never like you know broke out as like you know ricky schroeder or jason bateman or you know alfonso or yeah you know, we were never like the big household name kids but we were always you know my sister did a, a, she was a reoccurring part on growing pains and um you know, my younger brother, Parker, also was an actor. We did commercials and TV shows. I was on the love boat. Uh, <laughs> well, you know? I know. I got I, I got it right here. You starred in Pretty in Pink. You were in Gleaming the Cube, which is crazy. Yeah. You also did cameos on Married with Children and Roseanne. I mean, that's uh, I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm starstruck. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was cool uh, for sure. And as a kid, you know, being around a lot of adults and I'm sure a lot of those adults were, uh, you know, taking some interesting drugs at the time because you know it was like <laughs> late 70s early 80s and um just being around all that you kind of get a good insight into how things are done and so even just like as a 12 13 14 year old kid i i kind of had a good you know inner working of uh, how to make stuff or, or productions you know how to do production and but you know it the show business is weird and like i i guess i was lucky that i had parents that were kind of they weren't helicopter parents, but they were, they were looking out, you know, cause there was other kids that got into like the party scene at a young age and, you know, like the Corey's and, um, the river Phoenix and, yeah, Dana um, Plato, it's horrible. Yeah. Play, you know, Todd Bridges, like a lot of those yeah. kids, when you're around adults all the time that are partying pretty hard and then you're, they're like, Hey, come to a party, you know, you're, and you're like a 12, 13 year old kid. And, there's cocaine and, you know, eventually crack and like all that stuff came in kind of hardcore in the eighties. And so I guess I was lucky to kind of escape, escape all of that stuff, that baggage that comes with that. But there was definitely some really cool times and interesting experiences and met a ton of crazy people. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. 
it kind of makes sense now, especially I was, when I was reading through all this, I'm like, man, you know, you've went into television production, you, you've, uh, you know, d- done the, the Aquabats TV show, Yo Gabba Gabba, which we'll get to in a moment, but it's just, uh, it, it makes sense that you come from that lineage. And I, again, I think it's just, I think it's really, really neat. Thanks, man. I mean, again, like, I don't know, I, I kind of got disillusioned with it a little bit because I felt like at some point I just wanted to be a kid because being a kid actor, you're always out there and you're always going on auditions. And sometimes I, you know, get picked up from school and I'd go like on four or five auditions every day. And if you, you know, lived in LA or been in LA traffic, just driving in traffic every day, all day long, it just, it got old. So as I got into skateboarding and music and punk rock, you know, to help us transition into uh, where we're going, um, I just got really bummed on, going on auditions and trying out for stuff. And, and interestingly, as you know, like when you kind of have an attitude about things, people like respond to it, which is, is so dumb, <laughs> but, but you know, you know, like you're at, at your job and someone's such a total jerk and like, why, how is that guy the boss? He's so lame. Everyone hates that person. And like, they, they just keep, you know, getting more and more jobs. And it seemed like when I was a nice kid and I wanted to get parts, like I tried out for a ton of stuff. Like I tried out for ET. I tried out for poltergeist stand by me, like anything you could think of in the eighties that had kids in it. I I tried out for for sure. And as it got kind of later in the eighties, more towards the nineties. And I was just, I just wanted to skate and go to punk shows and I didn't care it was like, suddenly I started getting all these roles, you know, like people just wanted, uh, can you, can you stay and meet the director? And I'm like, no, I got, I got stuff to do. I got to go skate this curb down the street. You know what I mean? And they would, and then I get a call from my agent, like later on in the evening, they're like, they love you. They want you, they, they gave you the part, you know? So it was just, it was weird. And that, that made me kind of not like it even more. Like, this is so disingenuous because you, you know, like, punk you have this ethos and it's like you know don't sell out or you you know i'm not that kind of a person or which is just funny it's just like a young kid and now i look back at it i was like man i should have taken a bunch of those jobs but uh (laughs) which is which is the complete antithesis to what you're talking about and yeah yeah totally i i mean i definitely took some took work but you know i was i kind of had an attitude towards the end and again it resulted in getting jobs which was funny yeah. but yeah gleaming the cube was probably the the best thing to kind of transition me away from being a kid actor because it was, i was about 15 and i got cast to be in the movie and i got to work with like the bones brigade guys and skateboarding and just got really into like skateboard culture i was already into it but getting to know those guys like unlocked a lot of doors and i got to work with Jason Lee and Mark Gonzalez and Tony Hawk a bunch and we we hung out all the time and it was it kind of made me just get real disillusioned with like the Hollywood thing and I just wanted to skateboard you know I just wanted to be a skater so anyway that that was a dream that was a dream role it was was so fun like it was like eight to ten weeks of just every day hanging out with those dudes and skating and we didn't even like they would they would just have us show up on the set they wouldn't even have a like a scene for us to be in. They just wanted us to be around. And and we were like, okay. So we would just, just skate like 12 hours a day. And uh, it was so, it was, it was su- super fun and we got paid and 
it, it ruined my school career because I, I didn't, you know, I got terrible grades after that. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to do anything but ride my skateboard after that and, and go to, and go to shows. So anyway. Yeah. Well, it sounds like everything worked out for, for the right reasons. Everything uh, came together and, and I think you ultimately made, made the right decision. But the fact that you have, uh, have that experience behind you and those memories is, is, is really cool. You know, I want to give a little overview to the listeners uh, uh, here, uh, most of whom, my listeners, of course, know who the Aquabats are, but uh, the band formed in 1994 in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, the debut album, Return of the Aquabats, was released in 1995, followed by The Fury of the Aquabats in 1997, which we'll be talking about the lead single from that record today, Super Rad. Yeah! Current Blink-182 drummer Travis Barker played on the track, as well as being in the band from 1996 to 1998. Uh, and the video for Super Rad was directed by Bobcat Goldwaite, which, <laughs> again, I, here I am reading through all this stuff, like, what? Like, how did that transpire? <laughs> What a nut. Yeah, it was that was crazy times, crazy times. So, you know, a little bit of a correction and and history is always a little bit tweaked. So, um I moved in in 94. I, I had a friend and I moved into a house in Brea, which is like north of Anaheim a little bit. It's like four exits north of Anaheim and I moved into this place cuz I needed a place to stay and the other roommate was Chad, AKA Crash McLarson, the bass player mm-hmm. of, of the Aquabats. And he was in a punk band and I was in kind of like a shoegazer band with some, with actually the co-creator of Yo Gabba Gabba, Scott Schultz and I had a band uh-huh. that was kind of more like spiritualized or, you know, Galaxy 500, kind of like a trippy, like turn up the distortion and like, you know, weird noise, like pop band. And kind of like to go back to, to the beginning of the Aquabats, when I met Chad and we started going to punk shows together and got, got to be friends, you know, the ska scene was starting to really blow up in Orange County and it was already kind of big with no doubt. They were like the older elder statesmen of the scene, I guess. And so their shows were always huge and, and Sublime was huge in Orange County. Um, and this is, of course, before any of those bands like broke really big. Yeah, But there was a cool little burgeoning scene there with like Real Big Fish and a band called Meal Ticket. And there was like a cool scene that would play at these like tiny places or like a pizza place or, and we started going to those shows too, because just, you know, just something to do. And it was like, we, we should just start a ska band, even though we were in totally different, like out, he was in a hardcore punk band that would play with like HFL and like the white caps and all these like you know, the, the type of shows that were going on at that time were real violent. Like the punk shows were real violent. And then anyway, that was kind of where we came up with an idea, like, let's just mash our bands together and make just kind of like a joke ska band. And that's really where the Aquabats came out. So technically it started kind of more in Brea, but then just after that, Chad and I, we moved in to Huntington Beach to, to be a little closer to the beach. And, and so that's where, anyway. I really want to know how, how you came in contact with Bobcat Goldweight. That's, that's unreal. Bobcat came about because at the time, our manager, Bill Fold and Bill Hardy, they were the, the Bills, uh, and we always had to pay the Bills. Wah, wah, wah. Was his real last name Fold? No, his real last name is not Fold, <laughs> okay. but that, that's his like... <laughs> yeah, that, gotcha. Okay. That's his business <laughs> name, Bill Fold. You know? a, that's a great uh, manager name. Yeah. I love it. And he still works for Golden Voice. He's like a uh, number two guy at Co- uh, Coachella. Like He's a rad guy. And so Bill Fold and Bill Hardy, they were friends with Bobcat. B- Bill Hardy, particularly, who, d- who did the Hootenanny Festival. You, maybe you know Bill Hardy. You probably met him before, but he, he's like an almost seven foot tall, bleach blonde haired 
manager with always smoking cigars. Anyway, he, his idol was Colonel Tom Parker, which was like a red flag early on. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. wait, you, your idol is the guy that took 50% of Elvis's money, you know? But he was like, yeah, that guy was awesome. He took 50% of Elvis's money. And I was like, maybe I don't want you as my manager. But you know, he was, he was great. But it's crazy because n- I've never heard of Bobcat Goldwaite uh, directing any other band's videos, to my knowledge. Right. So Bobcat and him were friends, and he introduced us to Bobcat. And Bobcat had directed, you know, Shakes the Clown and done some other things. And we kind of threw it out there like, well, do you think Bobcat would want to direct our video? And so, we, yeah, we talked to Bobcat about it. And then he was great. And he brought in, like his crew and i think um ed begley jr is in like has a tiny cameo in the video anyway the premise of the video is pretty wacky but ed begley jr he called ed begley jr and said bobcat did said hey can you we're shooting this video today could you come make an appearance and ed was like okay well i'm kind of busy he's like well just we're over by dodger stadium just come by for like 10 minutes he's like okay 10 minutes bobcat got the camera ready and Ed Begley Jr. pulls up in his Prius, which at the time was like <laughs> high tech. You know, it was like no one had a Prius in 1997, you know, and it was like, whoa, he's in a Prius. He pulls up <laughs> and he's like, okay, roll the cameras. And he, he just rolled through and waved. And then that was, that was it. And he drove away. <laughs> anyway, that was, that was a funny story. But yeah, Bobcat was rad. And he, he helped us do a pilot for Disney a little later. But amazing to go hang out with Bobcat Goldthwait as house in uh, Hollywood Hills. And, you know, people would stop by like Daryl Hannah and um, Eric <laughs> Idle from the, from Monty Python. Like we played, yeah. we played a party for Bobcat's daughter and in, in their garage, just cause you know, we were friends and all these like super funny comedians, Adam Sandler and, you know, Eric Idle was the one we were tripping on the most. Cause you know, Monty Python and they were super cool. And like, yeah, you, uh, your guys are hilarious. And we were just like, we we're just like stupid dudes from the beach. So at least they felt that way. So it was kind of cool to be in that scene. But Bobcat was, yeah. he was, he was a good job. Well, the, the, the video is super fun. And just to give a little bit more of an overview before we uh, get into the song here, a few short live action television series were uh, developed. The first being the Aquabats in 1998, followed by the Aquabats in color. Uh, in 2007, Christian and longtime Aquabats collaborator Scott Schultz, which you mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, successfully sold one of their pilots, a preschooler show called Yo Gabba Gabba, to Viacom's Nick Jr. channel. The show was an award-winning international sensation, and it led to Gabba's production company, Wild Brain, uh, to help produce a new pilot based, again, on the band. In 2008, the Aquabats filmed their third TV pilot titled The Aquabats Super Show, which had consistently high ratings, eventually earning a daytime Emmy. To this day, the band continues to produce new episodes of The Aquabats Super Show. In total, the band has released six full-length albums, the most recent being 2020's Kooky Spooky in Stereo. So you, you guys just never stopped. One thing, one project led to another, and how, how the band tied into the TV show, it, it's just genius, and that's something I always loved about the Aquabat. If you're going to have a gimmick and own it, like you guys have owned it, because I know you can relate to this, a lot of the, the ska that was happening, especially when the major labels were, were oh, you know, swooping, yeah. swooping up, any band in the late 90s, it was just like this goofy, harebrained ska, there was no substance to the lyrics, it was just, you know, we're singing about balloons and clowns and whatever. Right, well, yeah, we're guilty of that for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but you guys owned it from the start. That was your gimmick. You know, that, yeah. that was always the, the impetus behind it, you know? Well, yeah. And for you guys too, like less than Jake, obviously I heard Pezcor, right? That's a, the first record. The first record. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I heard that 
before I think before we even were a band and you guys were the same. You you didn't change. You were doing what you were doing. And when we started, we knew we were a joke from the beginning, but we we weren't ever trying to like be anything different than that. You know, we were trying to like create our own thing out of ska. And I think not that we were being opportunistic because I don't think we saw it coming that ska was ever going to get like scooped out of the fishbowl and put onto the, you know, the stage, <laughs> yeah. you know, like at the time we started like, and you, you know, Pezcor was out and, you know, it was just like little shows, like maybe if a hundred people were there, that was a big show. And, and so maybe 50 to a hundred people and it, but it was growing. I remember playing with homegrown a chain reaction to like 40 people. Yeah. Homegrown, <laughs> like, like all those bands. And it was, uh, I believe it was tragic kingdom when no doubts record broke. And also there was sublime with their, you know, date rape song got pretty big around that the same time. Then it was like all the labels were looking for ska bands. And, um, I remember bands like that band Schlepp rock. And there were some other bands that would like, they, they swapped their uh, punk for like suspenders and, you know, Doc Martens and scooters. And suddenly there were a ska band and, you, you know, there might even be some more popular bands, which I get out as being like, <laughs> you were not even ska at all. And now you're totally ska. And there was a moment, moment there when all that was going on. Yeah. I don't want to have any enemies, but it was kind of weird to us because we were like, okay, now this is weird. Like, is it weird for us that we're just going to be a joke and, but there's a lot of jokes going on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I, I, I never took it as a joke though. I always kind of envied you guys uh, in the sense that like, if anything I could change going back, eh, I wouldn't change anything. But looking back, you know, if we were a little more PG 13, I mean, you guys could play to anybody, you know, I mean, we, we, we weren't getting the family festival down the road a lot of times because yeah. of, 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 of our, you know, our, our punk uh, mouths. <laughs> well, and <laughs> that, that was a big thing for us from the beginning. Like we just, we wanted to play all ages, like, you know, X on the hands for sure. And we, so we yeah. kept the content really friendly and, and that, that goes back to me, uh, my first like real, real show as a kid, I was in sixth grade and I saw Oingo Boingo at the palace in LA and, um, it was family friendly, you know, they're theatrical, their songs are pretty theatrical, but it was like, it, it was open to anyone. Like it was, you know, it was very PG and yeah. after, after the show, you know, I got introduced to Danny Elfman and I, I just thought that was cool. Like the sixth grade kid is at the show where there was no other real kids at the show and I got to meet the band. And so when we started the band, I, I, like we, I was like fiercely protective of all ages. Like let's make sure the youngest and the oldest people could come because, you know, like right in the middle, it's like rated R rated X, whatever. But like, you know, the old people, they don't, they don't like to hear that stuff and the little kids don't need that. So we were just trying to keep it all ages. So I, you know, yeah. that's, that's cool. And just thanks for like saying that. Cause that was something we tried to do. And sometimes we would get a little heat for being like a, a little cheesy, but that, but again, we were owning it. Like we don't care. Like if it's cheesy for the sake of being cheesy, you guys owned it. And, and again, I never just thought of you as a skyman. You know, you mentioned Boingo a couple of times. You guys uh, had Oingo Boingo. I heard Devo. I heard new wave influences. I've certainly heard of the ska, but you guys took it all. And then you had this whole spacey where, where superheroes feel behind it. And it was, you know, like a, like a, like a sci-fi uh, amalgamation of all these things. And, and, uh, and, and I'll say it for the last time, you guys owned it right on your sleeve. You were who you were. And, uh, and that's respected before we jump in. I want to ask the only other record that I know by a guy with this name, and I tried to research him. If it's the same guy, he, pr he produced the self-titled 
face-to-face record, Jim Goodwin. Oh, yeah. Is that the same guy? I, I think so, yeah. I think it's the same guy. He produced uh, this record, The Fury of the Aquabats, uh, and, and this song, Super Red. I've, I've heard rumors that he passed away, and I've heard rumors that he moved out of the business, and he just disappeared. And I, I actually tried to get a hold of him a few times, but he was a local producer. He did face-to-face, and he did some stuff for, like, Dr. Dream Records and like Inland Empire bands. I, I'm not sure if he did mm-hmm. a Voodoo Glow Skulls record or not. Like, but he was kind of like, um, you know, at the time we weren't like a, you know, Butch Vig band. We weren't like a huge band. <laughs> yeah. Rob, Rob Cavallo or like, you know, we, we got who we could get. And we did meet with the guy, a couple producers to do the record. Um, we met with the guy that produced Beck's song Loser. He was a little bit spaced out and, it didn't feel right. And so we just went with, with Jim Goodwin and cause he, he seemed cool and he'd done some cool records and that face to face song, uh, their big song, he, he produced that. And so we were like, yeah, sure. Why not? And for what it's worth, we didn't really know what a music producer did. We were like, well, yeah, you know, he'll just record us and it'll sound good and great, you know? Yeah. Especially at that time. And now this, this was of course before pro tools, you guys were recording to tape, correct? Yeah. Yep. Which was pretty awesome back in the day, you know, when Travis was in our band. And Travis was in the band for a while, a couple years. But whenever we recorded with Travis, he always was so prepared. And it it would blow people away because he would just do like maybe two takes. Maybe two takes. Like a lot of times he would just nail it the first take. And the producer, I remember Jim Goodwin like leaning into the mic and going, um do you want to do that song again? <laughs> and sometimes Travis would go, yeah, let, let me try something else. But, y- you know, like recording a record is a process and it always starts with yeah. the drums, you know, it starts with the drums and having Travis on that record, man, it got us through it really quick. Like we got in and out of there fast. Cause I think Travis did the whole record in a day, maybe two days. And that and that's incredible because back when you're recording the tape, uh, now they can fix all that stuff. They can line everything up. But when you got a great drummer like him, that can just go in and knock it out. Right. It just makes it it makes it so much easier. And his meter was always so it's so solid. Like he wouldn't swim at all. And you know, like that's typical for just a group of kids that get together and you have a drummer. You know, for people that don't know, what I'm talking about when you're swimming, it means that your tempo is going faster and slower and faster and slower. Uh-huh. It, it's not staying straight. You know and Travis was like a metronome. Like he would go on his tempo, whatever he clicked off, he would stay on that tempo. It's why guys like him and Josh Freeze are, are, are talking yeah. about in the same circles. You know, That's they, they right. continue to get continue to get these studio gigs. They're they're just they're just another level of musicianship. You can't say, can't say enough about guys like that. Yeah, and at the time, Travis's like like his Mount Rushmore was Josh Freeze, Chad Sexton, and um, Bill Stevenson. So mm-hmm. and from the Descendants. And and so if you notice on the on the record on Super Rad and, and on that record, there's a lot of that popcorn snare that's very indicative of the '90s, like, like that 311 <laughs> yeah. popcorn snare. And we, yeah. and we were trying to talk Travis out of it, like, dude, come on, please, just not every song has to be popcorn snare. And and he did, he did, he changed it for a couple songs, but there's a very poppy drum snare sound on that record because at the time Travis was pretty into Chad Sexton and the whole like that kind of like the popcorn snare sound, you know, it's like such a time piece because it it didn't really carry on. Like you hear that snare of the 311 and it's like, okay, this is 1995, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, and, and again, going going to tape on this, the, the groove of this song, where the drums sit and how this song swings is just, it, it's undeniable that this was just an amazing drum track. Uh, the song is three minutes and two seconds. Uh, there's a 21-second intro. Uh, the whole band is in right off the top. Uh, the bass groove and the horn lines are, are killer in this. Uh, Chad McLarson, Crash McLarson, your bass player, just the the... Just the feel and the tone of what he's doing in this track is just, it's fun, but man, he's got his own sound. Not Nothing really, really sounds like this. I'm hearing tenor possibly alto sax and trumpet i don't hear uh trombones here is that correct no trombones yeah okay so, so okay. we had we had two trumpet players and a, and a tenor sax player which is weird everyone's like why do you have two trumpet players and i was like well i was like mariachi man you know come on yeah and, well <laughs> and that's that's something that your sound has it has a, a a mariachi uh flavor to it because of uh the two trumpets and uh possibly your, your southern california roots yeah for sure there's like a I want to say, uh, is it a farfisa electric piano playing upstrokes with the guitar? It, yeah, is that what that a, is? there's a farfisa doing that was on the keyboards, and actually we, okay. you know, we had Adam who Prince Adam who played trumpet. He also did a lot of the keyboards on the record, but for this song, and maybe not a lot of people know this, but for the song we brought Ike Owens who was in the band Pocket Lint, but he went Ike went on to be keyboard player for man Macy Gray and. Um, he was in uh, what was the band that the at the drive-in guys Mars Volta. He was the keyboard player Mar- Mars Volta. I mean, Ike is amazing musician, and he came in and played on a couple of the songs because I think we tried it out amongst the members of the band. It wasn't. It just was sounding like super. It sounded super white, you know, like so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it just didn't sound like the groove wasn't landing with the keyboards, and so we brought Ike, and he just man, his rhythm is amazing and just amazing amazing musician it's cool you know and and uh, my my old ears didn't fail me that is a farfisa there yeah, and and you're right it, it's interesting because as we get into to verse one here uh it's the loudest thing that you hear in the mix besides the vocals and it, i think it's just because there was such a swing to it there you know from what from what you're saying yeah ike heard the song a couple times and we talked a little bit about the vibe we were going for and he just boom right into it i mean all those little things that he's doing is just he's improvising on the spot it wasn't like he was a member of the band. He practiced with the bunch. It was just like ma- the magic came together on the song. So a little background yeah. for the song. You, you talked about Crash or Chad, you know, Crash. We were living together in Huntington Beach and he, we were writing songs for the record. And I remember specifically the first time he played the song for me, he had an acoustic guitar and he was like, hey, I got another one. Are you ready? And he starts playing the chords, you know, ching, 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 ching. And then he starts doing the horn like and he does it twice just like the song and, you know and someone's like going bah, 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 bah. and like you're kind of like okay that sounds great and but he had a vision for the song so i gotta give all credit where credit is due and that's that's to crash crash mclarson for this song because this was his vision for the song musically and it all came together really well. So he's a great song, great songwriter. 
again, his his bass playing is, is phenomenal and just the tone and just the choice of notes in the song is killer. And I got to give another nod to Travis, you know, the, the drum groove at the top oh. here and then getting into the verses, what he's doing on the hi-hats, the little accents and those little things. And then the, the off time symbol that just the splash that happens and where he's where he's putting things and where they lay is, is phenomenal. Uh, verse one starts at 22 seconds. I've got a small friend who has a bad friend who had a big friend who gave birth to many friends with a flashlight to the sky. We waited for them to land. I've got two tall friends who know my small friend who seem to have a problem with you. They got Roman candles, bottle rockets for the vandals who cover the lockers in blue. Uh, here's the lyrics. I got a small friend who has a fat friend who had a big friend. <laughs> Who gave birth to many friends with our flashlights to the sky. We waited for them to land. I got two tall friends who know my small friend who seem to have a problem with you. They got Roman candles, bottle rockets for the vandals who covered our lockers in glue. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's really deep, deep stuff. Deep stuff. No, but I mean, like, there's a story here. Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to make a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our biweekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a One Hit Wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the One Hit Thunder or was nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. And now, back to the show. Is this just your imagination or a lot of times I'll read lyrics like this on the show and I'll be like, they'll be like, oh, no, this was actually about this. But was this just a, a, a fun story that you made up? Or? So, you know, I mean, you know, like uh, like a huge influence on me musically. Uh, you know, I love Devo. I love Boingo Boingo. But I also really love the Pixies. Like that, that was like a huge band for me. That was like my band, the Pixies. I love the Pixies and I love their kind of stream of conscious random that they did so well with it to be singing something like, what are they singing? But it's so catchy, you know? So with this song, we had a pretty diplomatic, I guess, kind of a democracy amongst us where like, if someone came up with an idea, we would always try it, like no matter what. And that, that went for like show antics. It went for anything. Like if someone came up with an idea, let's just at least try it. And so I think for the first, the first verse, the first line, I had a small friend who had a fat friend and a big friend who gave birth to many friends that was written by Catboy, Boyd Terry, our trumpet player, our lead trumpet player, and definitely the mariachi influence on the trumpets. Like, he'd write lyrics sometimes and give me lyrics. He's like, what do you think about this? And I'd just be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and then i go, well, it's so crazy. Why not? You know? And then that, that first line, I had no idea 
so you know you know how songwriting it is sometimes you have an idea lyrically or like something you want to sing about and so then you write down what you want to sing about and then you figure out music around it but then there's also the other side which i'm sure you guys have done too where you come up with a great riff or a you know you come up with a good song without any words and that's what super rad was it didn't have any words and we were trying to figure out we could tell that just the way the song grooved and the way that the trumpets and the horn lines were really catchy we kind of could tell that this was going to be uh potential to get pushed because it was at that time when they were pushing ska songs onto the radio and we could tell like this could be a, a contender to be one of those songs and you know because the label was talking to us about that and all that but um boyd came up with this line and that kind of set it off so it was like I, I got a small friend who had a fat friend who had a big friend who gave birth to many friends and then from there like i took over and then with our flashlights to the sky, we waited for them to land like they're aliens or something, you know, and and then the song kind of turned into this. We're all kind of mutants and we're all kind of aliens. I got a fat friend. I have a little friend. I have a brown friend. I have a green friend. Like, you know, when you're with your boys and you're you're outcast at school and you're just weirdos and you just feel that way, even if you're not, you could be the most popular kid in school. And you still feel you're like a weirdo. And and so really, I, th I felt like that was coming from Boyd, who was kind of a weirdo, cat boy. And we're all weirdos. And, and so that kind of set the, the stage for the rest of the song. And then, I, you know, we, the flashlights to the sky, we waited for them to land. Like there's some kind of, you know, outer space weirdos or we're, we're summoning our, our dudes with, <laughs> with our flashlights. <laughs> like, land here, guys, land here, you know. And the, the imagination took over. And then they meaning like our team have roman candles and bottle rockets for the vandals and I, that was a little shout out to the vandals because we've been i of, thought so i thought so we've been friends with those guys for a while but it also on the inverse it's like the bullies it's like us versus the bullies and and the, you know the 80s was all about bully movies it's just like there's so many movies about bullies and then the like the nerds taking over the you know the the like outcasts get their comeuppance. I mean, that was such an eighties thing and it felt, yeah. it felt right for the song to be like, okay, so they've got fireworks for the, these vandals who, who bullied us and, and mess with our lockers, you know? And so that's, again, it, it started off with just kind of a random stream of consciousness, like Catboy coming up with some weird line. And then that set, <laughs> that set the tone for like, here's the theme. We're going to be, this song's about, the the underdogs winning yeah and we went that direction and i don't know if it's super obvious that that's what the song is about it but it is kind of about you know triumphing over your adversity even if if it seems like you know in little in little ways you know like yeah well the next part i'm i'm calling the pre-chorus even though the chorus doesn't come uh, after this, we get, we get into right into verse two, but right. uh, I'm ca I'm calling it a pre-chorus, even though this is kind of the chorus. This happens so many times in the song. You know, it, it happens three times, but uh, it, it's it's a great setup for verse two. And uh, the the snare goes double time here. The organ uh, Farfisa is hitting on those snares along with uh, yeah. yeah yeah along with the tambourine, just really moving that part along. Uh, the guitar is doing a classic ska guitar run, like a guitar lick throughout this part, uh, and the horns are doing a few well-played stabs throughout uh, and there's unison vocals throughout this whole part Whoa. we're on our way here we go we're gonna take over Set it 
quick as we're on our way. Here we go. We're going to take over, set it off one last time. Here we come again. And there's this killer, like Spacey Jetsons echo on again that happens there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, so, so where are we going with these lyrics? So again, that's like one of those things is building to your chorus and your pre-chorus, your music pop theory, you're setting up the runway for your chorus to take off. And really it just, you know, we're on our way. Here we go. We're going towards the chorus, you know, and that what's is funny <laughs> about this song is that I didn't, we, we didn't really know what the song was about. Even the whole line and we'll get to the, the super rad part, but yeah, we're on our way. Here we go. It's also like psyching yourself up that you're going to the Rumble or you're going to go to the fight or you're going to go to Fenders in Long Beach, which was like the Thunderdome in 1985 or whatever. You know, like, here we go. You can't stop us. Set it off one last time. Let's just just go for it. And even if even if it is the last time is the meaning, like, let's just give it one more try. And and it's like, let's don't don't quit, you know. It's like the uh, triumphant protagonist theme, you know, like we're, we're, we're out to out to save, save ourselves and save the world. Yeah. And, and and then, yeah, we'll get to the middle part, but definitely it's ramping up to the chorus. But it's also, you know, it's an anthem for the nerds and the outcasts and the, you know, people that feel like they <laughs> the have disenfranchised. Yeah, the disenfranchised. <laughs> but also by doing unison, too, we wanted it to feel like. It was the team. I'm like, we're gathering the troops, you know, and even if it's like three guys or, or if it's 30 guys, it's, or 30 guys and girls or whatever, you know, it's like the team, it's our family. And here we go. And we're going to, the tribe, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to run into the fray. Yeah. Well, and then, and then, you know, we're we're at 56 seconds and we're into verse two now. And Mm -hmm. I love this verse. Again, it's uh, the same as the first verse in terms of uh, of the music going on behind it. But the lyrics are, we were strangers and we were pilgrims, role models of the family man, pioneers <laughs> and patriarchs, patriots and matriarchs staking out the promised land. Our little army, we were commandos, gorillas with decoder rings. We felt some opposition from some villains who were wishing they could be cadets and kings. <laughs> And now I, I pulled these lyrics offline. Is the gorillas here like the animal? That's how it's written. Or is it supposed to be like guerrilla it's warfare? Supposed to be like gor- it's supposed to be like guerrilla warfare. But I, it I, is. I, okay. I, I, I kind of like that it's gorillas. Like, I but think, with you guys, who it could be gorillas yeah, it, like it, the animal. For sure. I think the notion is it's gorillas like fighting gorillas. But yeah, yeah. it's kind of, I think it's, I think even in the lyric sheet, we wrote it gorillas like, like the monkeys. Like we wrote. Yeah. Like G-O-R-I-L-L-A-S because it's funnier that way. Yeah. Yeah, for but sure. I, I, I love the line, pioneers and patriarchs, patriots and matriarchs. Uh, it's just, it, it's... Yeah, that, know, that, the, the, that, the, the, the rhyme scheme there is great. Yeah, it's a little a little kind of nod to, like, my, my ancestry is, there's a lot of pioneers in my ancestry. So, like, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, they came across the plains and hunted and fished and kind of helped like we're part of the crew that helped settle the west and i have relatives on my mom's side that were similar and 
And so it was, it's kind of like one of those things to, to kind of acknowledge where you come from. So you're saying we could have almost had you in a loincloth on stage? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Where at least some overalls with like a bib, you know, like, yeah. But he, he, you know what I mean? Like, it's like looking back at how did we all get here and how did civilization arrive is we were, we arrived as strangers and we were pilgrims trying to find the, the promised land. And whether that's like an island in the sea or that's like a beautiful city in the mountains it, it kind of is a notion to the, like history of of the nerds of the modern day you know because like how did how did we all get here who are we and and we all came from somewhere and where we came from in the beginning was still outcasts it was still strangers it was still you know what i mean like if that makes sense yeah, well and that and that's what the whole punk and ska scene was we, we yeah, were all outcasts back for then, sure you know? so before it was mainstream, it's like, you know, um, how many shows did we played to 20 people? No one was there, you know? Totally. And and it goes to that. And it goes like 100, 200 years before where, you know, <laughs> there's some dudes trying to find some uh, buffaloes and, you know, maybe they're maybe they're not in the right territory. They're not in the right neighborhood. They need to like go somewhere else. And I, so that's a little bit of a nod to that. And like, here we are kind of outcasts and nerds. But guess what? We come from a long line of outcasts and nerds and we're still, you know, and those guys thrived and those people made a civilization. Yeah. And you look at what happened with punk and Scott, pop music, it, it like the punks thrived. They're, they're the ones that survived. It's the outcasts and the people that, that are the pioneers that survive. It's not the people that are the followers. And that, that might've even been a subtle little jab at the other bands that were jumping on the bandwagon at the time. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, and and it's amazing to think back to that time and what what was happening, you know, with with, with that uh, bandwagon jump because everyone was getting signed and it was like, you know, for bands like yours that were there from the beginning playing to nobody, it's like, wait a second, you know, it kind of, you know, there was there was bound to be some animosity in that in that regard. Well, yeah. To be fair, we, I mean, we weren't around like so much longer. So for a band like Sublime and No Doubt, I mean, they were real like No Doubt was doing the third wave of ska. Be kind of before anybody and sublime too and, you know i mean there's some other bands like like um let's go bowling and some some of the bands that went into kind of like the lean times of ska that you know they were there they were there before us so i we couldn't really sure. take too much credit but we definitely had been doing it for a couple of years and then we were already kind of like looking at all these people getting signed that we know they weren't a ska band or we know they they were just jumping in there and it, yeah it was a little like Hey man, that's not cool. And I still feel like that kind of ethos was still in the scene where, Hey man, if you're not real, then where, what are you doing here? Like go away. And the great thing about <laughs> ska shows is like, you could be a total freak, or you could wear a suit, a Hawaiian shirt, you could be whatever you wanted. And that, and you were real, like that's real. And you mm -hmm. weren't part of the like, bully rock or, or the, you know, you weren't going to show to get in a fight with somebody and show off your tattoos. You were going there to have fun and be with your friends. And so when those type of bands started like converting into ska bands, that that's kind of made us a little bit bumped. And, you know, 
we even though we were jokers we you know we were a little territorial about it sometimes you know sure sure we, we well be, you know i i was kind of amazed the first 15 or 20 episodes i did of this podcast and i i'm no longer i mean i knew there was a story behind these lyrics i didn't know what it was but yeah. i was like you know th- these aren't just some wacky lyrics on paper there's something here and that i, I think that's awesome uh pre-chorus two happens uh same as pre-chorus one we were on our way here we go we're going to take over, set it off one last time. Here we come, Here we again. come again. The echo the is still there, but it's not as prominent because the next part of the downbeat hits so quickly, which is chorus one at the minute and 30 uh, second mark. And uh, the lyrics here are, all systems go, soon the world will know. And uh, on that part, uh, it breaks down into like this halftime reggae feel for those two lines. And there's gang vocals in unison there. Uh, and it also sounds like this part under underneath it, it sounds like there's like a moog running behind uh, it. Yeah. I, is that what that yeah, is? I, like like that low bass tone? It, it almost sounds like a moog. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a moog, uh, you know. It it's could have cool. been a Korg, but um, we had a couple of like vintage synths in the studio when we were recording it. And and Adam, our keyboard player, who went on after that as our keyboard player, was all about the Moog. So I wouldn't doubt that it was. Yeah, it's like this low baritone growl. And it's kind there. of bubbling in the background. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it, that's it, also that uh... low end Farfisa was making a kind of funky noise, too. And. So it could be like a, a like a layered moog and the the low end of the farfisa that made this kind of scratchy weird thing. Those two frequencies playing off one another. Yeah. Uh, well, then then the band goes uh, uh, fast again out of that reggae feel for the fury of attack. Feel the wrath of the super rad. <laughs> yeah. The super rad. Uh, and then the second part here is. All systems go. Soon the world will know. Again, gang vocals in unison there. Halftime feel. Band picks back up for the fury of attack. Feel the wrath of the super rad. Super rad. Super rad. Super rad. <laughs> super so, rad. So now, so now the title. What what what's this about okay, here? Where'd so, the title come from? So for reals, we we recorded most of the record in uh, at uh, Paramount Studios in Hollywood, which Paramount seems like the, oh, is that the movie studio? No, it's not. It's like a junky little studio right on uh, <laughs> Santa Monica Boulevard. It was like, they recorded lots of stuff there. In fact, while we were recording The Fury of the Aquabats at Paramount, Chris Cross was recording their record too. Go, go. They were in the hallways, like with their pants on backwards and stuff, and we were just tripping out. Like, look at these guys. Well, yeah, because their- Chris, Chris Cross was like 91 or 92. So this is like four years. They were still wearing their pants. Yeah, backwards? it was like a follow up. It was like the follow up. <laughs> they, they were, it was like their comeback or whatever. But they were there, like going crazy, and it was funny. And they're, we, you know, we ran into a lot of, all kinds of weird people there. But we recorded the whole record, and Super Rad was one of the songs we knew was going to be single contention or, or contender but there was a couple songs that we 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 lot we like ran out of time at paramount like and obviously with travis all his stuff was done early and then all the other stuff came on but the lyrics and and like the the vocals were taking a long time because i wasn't done with all the lyrics and so we had to move 
to a, a studio in the Valley to finish the lyrics. And, and the clock was ticking and, you know, the label's like, come on, you're, we're going to go over budget. You got to finish. I'm like, I know, I know. And we had a couple of songs that we were trying to like finish. And I think we even put Martian girl on the record, like last minute, like we weren't going to put that on the record, but the label was like, well, this could be a single. And we were like, okay, well, sure. And anyway, long story short, we're, I'm in the studio and um, trying to figure out super rad. And it was like painstakingly trying to like, this would be good, but what is it? What is this song? Like what could describe it? I think it was Adam, our keyboard player. I was like, what if we, what if I did something like that? And he leaned into the mic. He's like, yeah, that'd be super rad. And I was like, okay, that's it. Let's just call the song super rad. <laughs> and then, and then everyone started laughing and they're like, no, no, come on. And I'm like, no, seriously, let's just do it. I think maybe the label was a little bummed because super rad isn't your like most like mainstream thought process, you know, like, Hey, yeah. this term will invite everybody in like, you know, like feeling all right. You know, like that's, a, that's something that is in every song. Practically I'm, I'm feeling all right. Like, can, can this just song be, I'm feeling all right. The ska version. No, no, no. We're going to, it's going to be super rad. It's, it's better than all right. It's super rad. And then, and I, and we were laughing because it was like, it's basically like you're crafting a song and you're getting it to the, this beautiful home to this edge of a cliff. And then you just push it off the cliff with super rad. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's just yeah. super rad. And so you had the greatest chance <laughs> of the world of getting on the radio, but we just doomed you. Yeah. We just wrecked it, <laughs> you know, but fortunately we did get some airplay with, with super rad, especially around LA because, you know, being rad, it, it kind of people got what we were trying to say, I guess, but K rock in LA, they thought it was great and they loved it. Cause it was, you know, it's like Valley talk anyway. Or, well, no, so I, I, I've talk. talked about, I, I've talked about K rock, you know, I had Trevor from face to face on here. It's like when you see face to face in Southern California, or you see the Aquabats, when you, when they play disconnected or you guys play super rad, it's just the place goes berserk. It was like you had a worldwide hit with those songs because, you know, K rock was the biggest, biggest thing ever, you know, back yeah. then. if you got played on that, on that station, it legitimized your band. Oh, it was huge. I, and even in the eighties before we, I was even in a band at all. Yeah. Like, K-Rock was the station that basically kind of brought alternative music into the States. I mean, it came through K-Rock is all the English bands and all the punk bands. And it was rad growing up, <laughs> no pun intended. It was grad, It was cool going, growing up in LA, uh, being kind of like listening to K-Rock because all the good new music would come in and you could listen to Rodney on the rock on the weekends and, he would play the most tweaked, weird stuff. And, you know, there was no internet. So how are you else are you going to discover this stuff in, without the radio uh, other than oh, just yeah. going to the record store and like buying an album based on the album cover? Like this looks good, you know, like, yeah, people don't realize now the struggle and or how how you know important radio was then. It, Super it, that was how important. You found, you found out about stuff. Um, I think I found out about you guys from K Rock on like one of those nighttime shows. Like Less Than Jake, they played it one night, and I was like, "That's pretty cool." And I, I went and got Pestcore like right afterwards. So yeah, anyway, so Super Rad was just one of these like it was just kind of a fluke and it was a joke, but that's kind of like it's really sums up the Aquabats. It's like. Hey, here's a weird idea. Let's do it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, I got an idea. Let's wear rubber hats and rash guards and act like we're superheroes. <laughs> Why not? You know, <laughs> let's have bad guys attack us on stage. Why not? Like, let's just do it. Yeah. And so that's what super rad really, it just felt like a completion of not only 
description of who we're talking about in the song, but really like an anthem for the Aquabats and like kind of like people that come up with crazy ideas and just want to go for it. And like, who cares? Let's go for it. So super rad was in essence, just means going for it, like without any regrets or, you know, just a reservation. Yeah. Any reservations like, or shame, yeah. like let's own it. But like you were saying yeah. earlier, like, let's just be who we are and just own it. And, you know, if people think we're dumb or sell out or whatever, it, we're not because we're, we're staying true to being super rad. And that's just, and, you know, like, okay, also, you got to admit, Chris, like growing up in the 80s, when all these terms like dude and rad and awesome came out, and people don't realize this, but at first, they weren't part of the mainstream vernacular. It wasn't like everyone was saying stuff like awesome, you know, or that's totally rad. Like people weren't saying that. <laughs> there was kind of like a small group of people that would say gnarly or like, you know, it was surfers and skaters and punkers kind of had their own terms. So we started off saying stuff like dude or super rad, kind of almost as a joke, like kind of making fun of that thing. Like, Hey dude, you know, you just kind of like, but then it becomes part of who you are is like this. So super rad was something we said, not like sincerely, but almost like sarcastically, you know, that'd be super rad, like just as a joke, but then yeah. it ultimately embodied what we became. And that's just like, <laughs> sarcasm personified you know what i mean <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> no i mean that's the, the, some of the times the first times i ever heard those words when i went to southern california back in the 90s you hear you know the skaters and the surfers uh, have 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 their own vernacular it was uh it was pretty crazy you know after after chorus one uh we're at a minute and 51 seconds uh there's a re-intro uh -huh. But it's a breakdown. It's a breakdown part here. There's no guitar. It's just the bass and drums and horns and like this weird like Farfisa noise, mm. organ noise going on behind. Almost like that that whole spacey motif that you guys are going for. At the minute and fifty nine second part. There's a spoken word here that you say, and I don't know what the last thing you say. I know it's step off, and then in my notes I wrote moo me, like a cow. Moo <laughs> no, me. What do you it's say? Ho it's homie. Step off, homie. You know? <laughs> homie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like step off, moo me. <laughs> no, this was like, you know, early 90s, so like homie the clown and like homie. People were saying homie all the time, and we it was like yeah, one of those yeah. things like step off, homie. We'd say it, say it, you say it as a joke, like you know, for me to say homie, it's like, that's not really where I'm from, but it's kind of funny to say it. Do you remember if that was off the cuff uh, and the mic and was left in or was that something you did? I think it was off the cuff. I, I was doing, yeah, I, I always would add stupid stuff in and, and like say things at parts and Jim edited a lot of stuff out. And then we would listen to stuff and I go, ah, oh, yeah, just cut that out. Like, but when I said step off, homie, I think we all were like, yeah, that's kind of funny. Just leave it in. So we just left it in. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely stuff I wish we would have cut out. You know, I mean, that's always stuff like that. Like those ad little ad libs. I'm like, oh man, that's so dorky. Like, John. yeah, that's, it's, it's, uh, that musical hindsight we always have years years after the fact, but uh, it, 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 as I said earlier, I, it, it was meant. Everything I ever recorded, and I'm sure you're going to test it was it was meant to be. Uh, at the two minutes <laughs> oh, and yeah. three two minutes and three second mark, we're into the bridge, and uh, uh, it's just bass and drums continued here. It's like the breakdowns continues to go. And if we die before the battle's through, tell your mom, tell your dad we were super. And the lyric is, and if we die 
before the battle's through. Tell your mom, tell your dad, we were super rad. And on the second line, before the battle's through, everything kind of slows down here. It's almost like the power went out when like a record player's on. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who came up with that? Was that something Jim wanted to do? Uh, that was probably a suggestion from Jim or, you know, in the, in the mix. But I think also Chad Crash played like a, like he bent a note on the bass. And then we added like Moog and different stuff on top of it to kind of mi- mimic the bass, like boom. So it's like, I don't know. It, it was just kind of some flair that we thought would set, would sound cool right there. It kind of just adds to your, what you guys have going on. It kind of makes sense, especially with this track. Um, at the end of this bridge, it's really interesting. Nothing fancy happens here. You just say we were super rad. And then there's these two subtle hits on the hi-hat. And then you're into the pre-chorus number three. Rad. We're on our way. Here we go. We're gonna take over. Set it off one last time. Here we come again. Which again, this is almost like a chorus. It happens three times. You know, the regular chorus, you're really only getting here twice. All systems go. And on the second time you say soon the world will know. Is that the one that goes drops down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, do you remember you singing it like that uh, prior to to recording? Or again, was this something that Jim was pushing you vocally in the studio? Or I I love little little change ups like that. And again, this song was not, you know, cut and pasted in Pro Tools. This was all done uh, analog to tape. So was that something you remember doing consciously? Not, not to take any credit away from Jim, but I, I think it was something we, we had practiced a little bit, like just to like give it some flair. I, I kind of swing my notes when I sing anyway. I'm not like the world's greatest singer, so I'm always kind of swinging into notes, and it just felt kind of fun to swing out of that, that part just to give it a little bit of a change up, uh, make it a little more interesting, you know, because I've got ADD, and so like yeah. when stuff gets too repetitive, we are all kind of like that a little bit. You want to like add some flair, make it something more special. And so like, but r- originally we'd written it w- with this part. Go, meow, yeah, yeah. soon the world will know. I, it feels like we practiced it that way because I know Chad was doing a bend on the bass right there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a cool uh, uh, welcome uh, welcome change up at the end there. I, I like it. Uh, at the end here, after, after chorus two, uh, it's what I'm calling uh, an outro. You know, I, I had post-chorus uh, initially written, but I think this is more of an outro. Uh, and this is kind of like a tie-up at the end of the song. It's all systems go as we step into the octagon. Feel the wrath of of mission code name applesauce 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 and it ends with, and it ends with super yeah. rad now there's double time on the snare the whole time here uh there's tambourine on all the snare hits and there's backing vocals going here rad 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 
that's happening yeah. the whole time there. So, uh, and, and that, that's uh, something new that's been introduced into the song. Do you remember how that part happened? Was that how you were rehearsing it? The, the backup vocals with the rad? I think we just added that in the studio. Like that was one of those things like, why don't we add some backup rads, you know, just to like overkill it. And you're talking about owning it, you know, like, yeah, like let's just go all in, like let's throw more rads at the end because we knew that also was like a weird, a term that wasn't, it wasn't like a universal term. So again, you're talking about like taking a song that could at the time be a mainstream hit and just totally pounding rads into it and making it like, <laughs> this is what it is. It's not, it's not a love song. You know, it's not a breakup song. This is a song about goofy rad dudes and we don't care. Like, this is who we are. Yeah. Leave and, it. and what's with the what what's with the lyric applesauce repeated three times? So I have an uh, I have an adopted brother and sister from they're from Romania and they both uh, have like really extreme cerebral palsy and um, my younger brother uh, Andrew he loved the Aquabats and he came and saw us play and he's in a wheelchair and he, he's in his thirties now which is crazy to think about but the way he would say aquabats is he'd say applesauce. He'd say applesauce, applesauce. And so Aww. we just thought that would be rad to give him a <laughs> shout out in the song. And so then whenever he would hear the, the end of the song, he would laugh because he knew that he kind of made that, you know? Oh man, that is, that is awesome. He's partially blind and he can't see, but he loves music and he like really lights up when he hears uh, songs he likes and super rad is like one of his favorite songs. Cause when he hears applesauce, he just starts laughing like, Hey, Hey, that's me. You know? Cause he, he knows that it's aquabats, but he says it applesauce just because that's how he can say it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So we just gave him a little shout out in there. And then also that kind of speaks to the like underdog of it all. It's like pe people with disabilities and, and injuries and, People that are you don't expect to win, like this is for them. You know, this is for this is for the applesauce. <laughs> yeah, right? man, that that tie up right there uh, uh, made the episode for me. That's a that's a that's a that's a great story. And uh, uh, give, give your give your brother a high five for me. Please. I will. I will. He's the he's the best. We end on super rad here. It's gang vocals saying super rad. Just this triumphant uh, uh, ending. And the last thing you hear is a spacey type of uh, synth kind of fading out and, and fades away. Uh, and, and, and the song ends. And uh, yeah, it's the, again, I was amazed at the beginning of, the, of doing this show. And I'm no longer amazed that there's stories, sometimes even the most ridiculous lyrics, you get these great, these great stories behind it. So uh, I just want to want to thank you so much for, for sitting in with us today. Dude, thank you for having me. I was really honored to be a part of this. And it's great to talk about the story. And as you know, as a, as a songwriter yourself, like every song has its own story, whether it be weird or insignificant, they all have their own story and history. And it's cool that we, we got to do this and still get to do it. So um, I'm just grateful and thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Is there anything I'd like to leave the listeners right now with what's going on with uh, you, uh, TV shows, the Aquabats, uh, spill it. Uh, so, we, you know, we did a Kickstarter a couple of years ago and did some new episodes of the, the Super Show and that were all crowdfunded. And we, uh, we just aired one of the last ones a couple of weeks ago, but you can see those on our YouTube channel. And, you know, of course we're on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff, but we've got some stuff coming up and, um, couple shows and no, no tour yet. But, uh, again, we're just, uh, we're the acrobats. So <laughs> super rad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's the perfect way to end it. What else is there to yeah, say? Uh, super rad, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Krista Makes a Podcast producer Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy this podcast and you're looking for help with any aspect of your podcast, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're friendly people with a real passion for pods. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to ban you might not know at gmail.com. Today's featured artist is Last Edition. I wanted to feature this band because I, I really like this song. It's a ska song, and uh, I figured it'd be a great fit here on the Aquabats episode. But the email they sent just included an MP3 of their song. There's no information on the band here at all. I don't know where they're from. I don't know who's in the band. <laughs> I don't know where you can find their stuff online. So please, if you're going to submit your band to Band You Might Not Know, uh, please give me a little info so I can let people know where to find you. And without any further ado, here's the last edition with a snippet of their song, Half Drunk at Halftime. Chris and Chris. That episode was really great. I really think that Christian has some of those most interesting man in the world type of qualities. Like, you know, he's a child actor turned guy in a crazy band turned television producer. Just very interesting. Seems to know lots of people. And on top of that, seems like a really sweet guy. Yeah. Like I said, from the top, I was a little starstruck. I, I watched uh, I watched him as a kid on TV and I just was like, there's no way he was that actor. And I went and uh there he was, uh, uh, forty years <laughs> back in time. That little, that, that you know, round little face uh, kid. There he is. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the same guy. It was great. <laughs> I was impressed. He was in Gleaming the Cube. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, wasn't that with Christian Slater? Uh, yeah, it's amazing skateboarding <laughs> movie from the '80s, and I can't wait to like find him in the yeah. movie now. No, that and, I know and, that. and he and it's funny now that you know I want to go back and find the episode. I watched Married with Children religiously. Uh, uh, and 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 Roseanne, uh, I I don't recall ever seeing him in Roseanne, but I I am pretty certain now that I know what role he played in Married with Children. That's just it, it just blows blows my mind. And uh, like I said, you know the fact that he he went on to do the Aquabats, he was in TV. Uh, there, there's a whole element of uh, uh, show business outside of the band with with doing their their TV uh, TV shows. Uh, of course, him going on to do Yo Gabba Gabba. The the whole thing makes sense now. It all adds up. You know when Christian was summarizing the song. Uh, he, he used this quote and I actually wrote it down. He said, 
It's about people who come up with crazy ideas and just want to go for it. Meaning it was kind of like a theme for the whole Aquabats thing. But I kind of felt like that was a good summary for Christian himself, who had this idea, wanted to make TV shows and make this crazy band and just went for it. And one way or another made it happen. It's pretty inspiring. It it truly is. And you know, he wasn't just focused. I think initially it was just the band, but but look at all the doors that this band uh, opened for him. And he has such a great attitude about the whole thing. And I meant everything I said. You know, there was a glut of really bad, cheesy ska bands coming out in, in the late 90s and early 2000s. It was just one after the other. There was no substance. The, the, the lyrics were just absolutely terrible. But, but uh, they've always owned who they were they were these these uh uh, superheroes it was kind of hard to believe the whole thing you knew they were making fun of themselves they weren't taking it too serious it was fun and they don't it's unapologetic they don't have to apologize for being who they were or you know the lyrics being a little corny here or there that's that's what the band's about you said it a lot of times in the episode but they own it they own that persona and you could see like okay you, you use the word cheesy that it could come off that guys dressed like superheroes and singing a song like super rad might come off as cheesy, but the way they own it to me makes it way less cheesy and more uh, along the lines of bands like they might be giants or Oingo Boingo or Devo or Mr. Bungle, where to me, something like this is way less cheesy than some band trying to be super serious and dark. Uh, that comes off way more cheesy to me than someone having this persona and owning it. Absolutely. And it'd be, it'd be one thing, too, if these guys were all, you know, now in their mid-40s starving themselves and working out with trainers to try to look good in the suit. I mean, they go out. They got their dad guts hanging out. They, they, the whole thing is just they're, they're truly owning it at this point. I've talked to Christian about this. We've been on tour with them before. And, and uh, I've made jokes. I, I, I have said, uh, you know, have you, have you ever asked a lady out after the show and, and, and went out uh, in, in, in uniform? Like, and he looked at me, he goes, look at us. No, you know, like they know, they know they're in on the joke and they, they have fun with it. And I also meant what I said that, that they, uh, you know, they're able to play to any audience. There's something that uh, I never really cared about yeah. that as a younger band. I mean, I always wanted our shows to be all ages, but uh, they they can truly play to to, to two year olds to, to eighty year olds. It doesn't it doesn't matter. I wrote that in my notes too when I was listening to this man. There's something really cool about keeping your humor PG. It's it's more of a challenge. Like any of us could, yes. you know, go out there and cuss a lot or whatever. But it's things that are funny. But they're also PG. If you look at Homestar Runner or Adventure Time or even most of Mitch Hedberg's comedy, you know, for the most part. But when when someone says a joke like, my friend asked me if I wanted a frozen banana and I said no, but I want a regular banana later. So, yeah, that kind of stuff (laughs) is so much funnier to me than going out there and just cussing a lot. Not that I don't do that sometimes, but I'm just saying that it's impressive if you can make it friendly for any any age or whatever and still be funny and the aquabats do that yeah no and and uh, something i didn't mention in the episode which is amazing we didn't play our first show uh less than jake with the aquabats till 
probably within the last five years. We were in Europe and we did, wow. we, yeah, we did two or three shows. And I remember I, uh, sitting backstage with Christian saying, how the heck have we not played together? I mean, I think we did some warp tours, but he's like, I don't know. So uh, they're, they're, they're definitely a band that, uh, that I like, like to go out with sometime on the road. They're just, they're, they're so much fun. They're doing it for the right re- reasons. They're humble. Uh, there's no egos. I mean, I don't know how you could have an ego uh, dressed up at their age, getting on stage and, and uh, completely being who they are and, uh, and being fine with it. So uh, just, they they are uh, I don't know they're 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 refreshing because they're doing it for the right reasons I respect it. That was in my research of them. That was one of the things I saw about when they started their band was that they were trying to be the antithesis of these people that were trying to be real cool and everything. That was that was their thing, and that's an awesome thing. <laughs> I think that's why I gravitate towards their their whole train of thought. That was the same thing I was doing in the mid '90s. Uh, for those that 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 saw Les and Jake back then, I was dressing up, uh, you know, as a baseball player one night, a trucker the next night because I didn't want to <laughs> fit into that stereotype typical. Oh, we have to look this way. And be punk. Uh, I would take the stage in winger shirts, and, and people be like, "What are you doing?" You know, like, <laughs> like that band is like not cool. Why are you wearing that here? And I'm like, "Well, because you're wearing a Sex Pistols shirt, you're wearing a Ramon shirt, you probably can't even name a song from those bands." So I get the Aquabats what they were doing in that in that aspect. And a few things about the song. First thing that I wanted to note is the word rad isn't really part of my personal vocabulary. I don't know if you say rad. I don't really say rad, but. Hell yeah, do I say awesome? Do I I say dude and I say hell yeah man, you <laughs> know what you call me out on. <laughs> I, these these things are part of my everyday vernacular. I don't say them ironically. They are just part of the way I talk. I say awesome way too much. And I never really think about the fact that really did cu- as far as I know the everyday use of that comes from like that skateboard culture, you know? Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. I mean, I, I was, I remember, you know, uh, gnarly was like something that Sean Penn, uh, you, you know, would say at fast times at Ridgemont high and, and you'd make fun of it. And, uh, our A&R guy, Craig Aronson, we, we were getting courted by him for Capitol records. And, and Craig said, you know, he, he heard one of our songs, like that song's gnarly. I'm like, I looked at him like, did you just say gnarly? He's like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you mean? And like, and he wasn't being ironic or being weird about it. I'm like, you, you gnarly you know and then i'd get right you know going out to california uh we hadn't i had never been to california prior to the band and getting out there and hearing people this was part of their everyday speech it was hilarious to us being from florida but hell we said things that were lame too so who knows <laughs> dude and as far as some sounds in the song dude i had never heard of a is it a farfisa yeah farfisa yeah yeah, yeah. and then i had to look up what it was while you guys are talking about it. I'm like, oh, uh, it's a name commonly associated with a series of compact electronic organs manufactured in Italy in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. What do you know? Yeah. Far- Learn something new. Farfisas are really popular uh, in, a, in a lot of the early uh, 60s. The doors used a Farfisa. Uh, ah. And then, of course, the Moog that uh, I believe that was a Moog and so did Christian that was uh, running behind those choruses. Just uh, a, a lot going on musically here. A lot, a lot of cool, uh, a lot of cool parts and sounds. And uh, I I totally back it. Hell yeah. And speaking of super rad, Chris, I want to talk about your super rad enamel pin company. Yeah. Hey, I have an Etsy shop at iloveenamelpins.com. If that sounds like something that you're into, if you like inexpensive gifts for the holidays for your friends, or you like to treat yourself to something fun and inexpensive, you can check out iloveenamelpins.com. And if you use the discount code Chris DeMakes, 
on checkout, you'll get thirty percent off. Yeah, you know it's it's so funny. It's it's only the uh, the first of the month here in November, but uh, you know it's getting very close to the December holidays. So uh, make sure you get that order in. And speaking of orders, Chris, I'm still doing custom songs and jingles for your business. Uh, anybody out there would like one? Uh, get your order in as soon as you can. Uh, you can email me at chrisdemakes at gmail and that way I can get it to you uh, by the end of, of December for the holidays. Yeah, we're cutting it really close now as far as custom songs go, Chris. I know we were talking about it. If people want one for the holidays, probably shouldn't mess around. This should probably be the week that you get your order in because you do need some time to turn them around. And uh, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Absolutely. And yeah, if you haven't already, please join our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's tons of fun. We have almost 4,000 active members in the group. It is awesome. Uh, and give me a follow if you can on Instagram at less than Christie. And I want to thank Christian Jacobs from the Aquabats for sitting in with us this week. He was an awesome guest. We'll see you next week. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.